Welcome to the Athlete Archives. I'm pretty excited today to tell you the story of Kent Tekulve. If you watched baseball in the 1970s or 1980s, you might know who he is. He was a relief pitcher for the Pirates most of his career. He is not and will never be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but who cares? Do you like underdog stories? Do you like hearing about guys who go against the conventional thinking of what an athlete should look like? Or guys who challenge the way that some people think the game of baseball should be played? I do. This is the story of a man called Teak. His whole life, Kenton Charles Tekulve has had to prove people wrong. This is the story of a guy who got cut from his high school team his sophomore year, but kept battling and wouldn't take no for an answer and made the team as a senior. That year, he threw back-to-back no-hitters in his first two starts. He also had a one-hitter and a two-hitter that year. When he graduated high school in 1965, there were 824 guys selected in the Major League Baseball draft. Kent Tecalve was not one of them. Teak had wanted to keep playing baseball after high school. His dream school was Ohio State, but nobody seemed much interested in a 6'2", 145-pound side armor. Yes, 6'2", 145. Only one coach struggling to put together a program, made him an offer. Coach Shally would end up letting him have a shot to play at tiny Marietta College in Ohio. As Tecolve is quoted in a book on Marietta College baseball by Gary Caruso, quote, My guess is that he, Coach Shally, sent letters to every high school coach in the state of Ohio asking if they had anyone they would recommend for Marietta College. I don't think his first letter to my high school coach was specific to me, just a form letter. And we went from there. Once at Marietta College, Teak faced tall odds of ever getting any playing time. He said, quote, There were 110 of us as freshmen. That's how we built the program. Shelley was a dictator. He was only going to include people that were willing to do what he needed done to get the program where he wanted to go. The numbers dwindled quickly. A lot of guys wanted out at the end of their first year. One thing that Teak didn't lack was a work ethic. He would do whatever Shelley wanted in order to be able to play. And it paid off. By his senior year, Kent Tecolve was a true star at Marietta College. His final season there, he posted a ridiculous 0.94 ERA. After graduating from Marietta College, there were 1,042 players drafted in the Major League Baseball draft of 1969. Kent Tecalve was not one of them. And yet, he found himself as an elite closer for a world championship team 10 years later. Teak starred at Marietta College from 1966 to 1969. He recorded a 0.94 ERA during his senior year. Still, as I said, 
Nobody drafted him. Marietta College is tiny, roughly 1,000 students. It would take something special to get noticed at such a small school. He also didn't quite fit the, quote, profile. Teak had added some weight to his frame, but he was now six foot four, 170 pounds. And it was said that he could hide behind a pencil. He did not have a conventional athlete's body, and he most definitely did not throw like a conventional pitcher. Teak had a submarine delivery. It's not something you see often in baseball. Every so often, one comes along. In today's game, the first guy that comes to mind for me is Steve Ciszek. If you're watching on YouTube, you see him here. A submarine delivery is when the pitcher's arm slot is below parallel to the ground. The ball is thrown up, for lack of a better description. Teak was submarine, but today there are even more extreme examples. Again, on video you can see here a Korean pitcher who is almost scraping his knuckles on the ground. He drops so low. And you can imagine how difficult this is for hitters who are used to conventional over-the-top deliveries. As I previously talked about in Ray Chapman's video, Carl Mays had a submarine delivery. Cy Young and Satchel Paige would sometimes throw a sidearm or submarine. Dizzy Trout, Chief Bender, Rube Foster all experimented with different arm angles in submarine deliveries. So it's been around for a long time. It's not anything new, but baseball scouts don't see it that often, and they don't usually like the unconventional. It doesn't fit the profile. And it's hard to project a guy who throws differently from every other player that you've ever scouted in your life. All that said, Teak did receive one invitation for a pro tryout, thanks to Coach Shelley. Once again, Teak had to overcome great odds. At the Pirates tryout, the first thing all recruits had to do was run. And apparently, despite his thin build, Teak was far from a good runner. He was so slow, he was told to go sit in the stands. He would spend basically the entire tryout sitting there watching. Finally, at the end of the tryout, he angrily told a scout, quote, I don't run the ball up to the plate. He made his point. The scout, Dick Corey, let him throw. They signed him on the spot. Two nights later, he was pitching for the Geneva Pirates of the New York Penn League. The next season, Pirates minor league director Harding Peterson, later the franchise's successful general manager, told Tecolve to abandon his sidearm pitching motion. He did not listen, thankfully. Over the next four years, Teak would have success at each step and work his way up through the minor league system. 1970, A-ball Salem Rebels of the Carolina League. 1971, AA Waterbury Pirates of the Eastern League. 1972, AA Sherbrooke Pirates of the Eastern League and then AAA Charleston Charlies of the International League, and finally 1974, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, it might be hard to believe, but the Pirates of the 1970s were not the Pirates of today. I'm not trying to slander today's team, but the Pirates of the 1970s were perennial contenders. In 1974, Pittsburgh won the NL East, but lost in the National League Championship Series to the Dodgers. 
1975, they won the NL East again, but were swept in the NLCS by Sparky Anderson and the Big Red Machine. The next three years, 76, 77, and 78, they took second in the NL East to the Phillies. Teak was having great success and became the closer for the 78 Pirates. The guy known as Rubber Band Man with the funny delivery would save 31 games in 1978. He would get Cy Young and MVP votes that year. Not bad for a dude cut from his high school team. And finally, 1979, We Are Family. If you don't get that reference, the Sister Sledge song became the anthem for the 79 Pirates, thanks to Willie Stargell. That theme pulled the team and the fan base together for a magical second half of 1979. The Pirates battled from fourth place to win the division by two games over the Expos. Antique would again save 31 games as the Pirates faced the Big Red Machine in the NLCS. The Pirates swept the Reds this time and went on to face the Orioles in the 1979 World Series. It was in this seven-game series where Teak would have the performance of his life. He relieved in five of the seven World Series games with a 0.75 whip and a 2.89 ERA. He'd have three saves, allowing only one single from 16 batters in the last two games. The last game of that contest marked appearance number 101 in 1979. Before the playoffs in the World Series began, he had appeared in 94 games, more than any other major league pitcher. He saved 31, matching a club record for the second season in a row. 1979 was the pinnacle of his career. He was an absolute celebrity in Pittsburgh. Shortly after the World Series, he went to a department store to buy diapers for his infant son, and bedlam broke out. Tecalve spent over two hours signing everything from pillowcases to sales receipts. He was quoted saying, quote, By the time I get out of here, my son's going to be toilet trained. His three World Series saves in 1979 tied Roy Face's record, he still holds the record for career innings pitched in relief. He also owns the Major League Baseball record, having pitched in nine straight games over a span in 1987. I can't see that one ever being broken. Teak would go on to pitch for another 10 years. He was traded to the Phillies for Al Holland in 1985 and finished his career in 1989 with his hometown, Cincinnati. He would finish his career with a 2.85 ERA. After Tecalve retired, he went into broadcasting with the Phillies and later was an analyst for Pirates games on AT&T Sportsnet. He also served as a Pirates scout and he was general manager and pitching coach for the Washington Wild Things of the Independent Frontier League. Teak never forgot the coach who gave him his big break. He stayed connected to Coach Shally at Marietta College. He donated his time and money to the baseball program there. And eventually, he sent his son, Chris, there, who became an all-region and all-conference first baseman from 1998 to 2000. Kent did have a health scare in 2014. He underwent successful heart transplantation surgery that year after spending eight months on the transplant list. Kent Tecolvi is now 76 years old and lives just outside of Pittsburgh. 
I really enjoyed researching Teak. I hope you enjoyed hearing about him. He was so iconic when I was growing up. I obviously remembered him as a baseball player, but I didn't know his backstory. And now that I know a little bit more about him, I just have an even greater appreciation for some of the obstacles he had overcome and proved people wrong every step of the way. Uh, if you can see this on video, I'm actually wearing a Kent Culvey jersey, and I'm proud to own it. I'm going to close this video out with the last couple of outs of the 1979 World Series. If you watch closely, you can see the Pirates catcher, Pamela Baltimore fan, who I guess got a little aggressive. Please consider subscribing to the channel. Thank you, and take care. Pitch outside, off the plate. Here's another look at it. See the ball start its run right there, and it's just off the outside part of the plate for the strikeout. Now it's Doug DeSensei. Two singles and three trips. Pat Kelly will come out and hit for Dipsy. Birds had their big shot. Last inning, bases filled. Two out. Eddie Murray up. On the corner. Strike call. Shaw pitched by Tacoma. Murray did not hit the ball well. It was clearly playable, but Parker almost tripped under producing more suspense. But Dave got the ball. Strike two. Mm. Really mows him, doesn't he? Oh, he is spectacular. He's the one guy that if you met him on the street in civilian clothes, he'd be the last person you'd think was a major league pitcher. Boy, is he tough and durable. He struck him out on a bad pitch. Terrible pitch. The Adam Buffalo. Watch this curveball go way off the plate. Desensei swinging weakly at it, strikes out. So Tacoli has struck out Rineke, struck out Desensei. Now he pitches to Pat Kelly, who's one for two. Tacoli needs one out for Pittsburgh's fifth World Series championship. Jerry Newdecker back of the plate. Calling the balls and strikes. Go back to Earl Weaver before the game, admitting that maybe Pittsburgh had the pitching edge. Kelly hits it in the air to center field. Moreno going toward right center makes the catch. Pittsburgh wins it. And so this team, with its remarkable comeback capacity throughout the entire regular season, proved itself all over again, beating the Reds in the National League Championship Playoff Series, and then coming from a 3-1 deficit, and there is Willie Stodgill. MVP. Just VP. That's right. Just name the most valuable player. It's as it should be. He's the spirit, the soul of the club. He's become one of the most important figures in the entire Steel City community. And there is the other one. The man, the Reed, who looks like a Stanford College philosophy professor. University, I should have said. And the fans from Pittsburgh are out there jumping. And indeed, 
The Bucks have gone all the way.